0: And
1: good evening, our fellow lovers of love. Welcome. Uh, thank you for joining us on yet another excursion through a stream of consciousness down the river of tranquility and on towards the lake of love.
0: Yay! Oh, man. That was a good one.
1: Well, oh, almost. It was, hey, I s- screwed up the start right from the start. So whatever. I had the wrong intro. Started from the start. So. It's been one of those weeks, I suppose. We're kind of managed getting through, kind of working on our way back into the swing of things. I'm trying to get myself back healthy, and so it's been a a fast week. I can't believe we're actually already here, this like back again.
0: I know we're back again.
1: I mean, I know it was we did it Sunday last time, but that's only one day. Anyway, it's 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 been a quick week. It, it went by fast. But on the plus side, I didn't go to the hospital this week. Yes. Woohoo. So that was that was that was a good thing I didn't go to the hospital. But we have an opportunity to kind of sit down and have a conversation about something we're good at talking about. And that's anxiety. You know, as the world comes out of its shell, and I think there's some stories here linked in our description about you know, you're coming out of many people, you know, a year or even longer where they've just been essentially isolated. And then others, I've had economic issues, families have been torn apart all because of these, you know, the lockdowns and the stress of COVID. And you add that to the normal stresses of life, the ups and downs, the twists and turns of normal just normal life. Yeah, you had all that, and then you added this pandemic and the lockdowns on top of it. And whether you feel whatever your feelings are, whether they're necessary or not, is not actually relevant. The psychological effects are clear. Yes. And it's been disastrous for many people. And in normal times, you're talking 19% of people have some form of anxiety disorder. That's under normal conditions. And you now have a lot of people who did not used to have issues who are now having issues you know people who we've gone from emotional health to mental health issues we've gone from people who had nothing to emotional health issues and you know a lot of people who didn't used to have anxiety are now stepping out their houses and finding they're scared
0: yes i have i went on an outing with one of my daughters Then we went into old sack and there was a band playing. There was another group dancing. There were people all around and very few people had on masks. And she kept exclaiming, wow, wow, wow. It's all so normal. Wow.
1: Yeah. And so you've got that and you've got all the kind of the normal things. And so there's a lot of people who are dealing with this for the first time, or maybe they've been dealing with it at a low grade level at, for a long time. And now they've just been faced with the possibility that they have to deal with it. You know, if they're going to be successful in the future, you know, in the next year to 10, depending upon where you are in your life, you, know, you have to become I don't know if say friendly with it, even though there is a discussion. You do have to kind of come to terms with that part of you, and how you do that is very it's very unique. When I read when I read a lot of these um, articles that say seventeen t- tips or ten tips or three tips for helping with your anxiety. What I see is what worked for one person. And so they describe, say, like making your bed. I think maybe we forget to it. There's an article about 17 tips. I don't know if I concluded it this week or not. But the first one was making your bed first thing in the morning. Well, the issue about making your bed first thing in the morning isn't actually about making your bed the first thing in the morning. It's about having something that you can actually control every morning. Because maybe you can't do your bed. Maybe you and your spouse have different different things, and you try to make your bed in the morning, and you're disrupting somebody's sleep. And so maybe it's not your bed. But the point is to find something that's yours that you can control that you can at the start of your day, you know, have a success. Yes. And if that success is. Well, at least I freaking made my bed. At least I brushed my teeth. At least I washed my hair. Whatever the hell it is. At least I put makeup on. At least I dressed nice. It doesn't actually matter what it is. The what it is is less important. It's whatever it is that makes you feel good. That makes you feel like you've accomplished something. Whatever the heck it is. It can be making your bed. It can be doing the dishes. it, It can be taking a shower and starting the day clean. It actually doesn't matter what that is. It's that you've changed your mindset, and you start in the day with a success. Now, I'm not one who actually has to do that anymore. There was time when I had to, where you found something a day. I didn't have to do it the very first thing in the morning because just getting the kids out the house was, was a chore. That was your success. <laughs> yeah, getting the kids shoved into the car, and out the door, more or less stressed was, <laughs> was sometimes the biggest success you can have in a day. But you did it, right? That's a success. But, you know, sometimes it's not as easy and you don't feel like a success. And so you find something else, you know, some little part of your life that you can control that is yours, that you can be responsible for. Because it's not just that you can control, it's that you can actually accept responsibility for it. That this is mine. This is what I'm going to do. And this is what I'm going to do to start building my toolkit of success so that I can build on something. Because you have to have something to build on. And that first step is it doesn't have to be very big. It doesn't have to be large. It doesn't have to be some grand thing. In fact, you're better off if it's not. And you don't have to tell anybody. It's yours. It's just for you. It's for nobody else. It's okay to be selfish. It's okay to think about you. It's okay to say, you know, I like helping people, but I can't help people if I'm not my best me. And in order to be my best me, I have to take care of myself. And whether it's going to therapy, whether it's doing a routine, if you're a routine person, if you're an artist person, Maybe it's making sure you don't have get stuck into a routine. You know, if you're an artist and you need some variety in your life, getting stuck into a routine is spiritual killing. It kills your spirit. So, you know, you have to understand yourself. You have to understand who you are, and it's very difficult, especially if you're young and you lived in a household that say is completely different than you. When we were growing up, what was that show? Growing Pains with Michael J. Fox? Yes. And he had the hippy-dippy family, and he was the straight-laced, conservative, you yes. know, economics person. They didn't fit, but you found some way to love each other anyway. You all kind of grew a little bit because you learned to try to understand where somebody else is coming from. But that's hard. It's a hard way to live your life, you know, when you're completely different than your family, when you are the black sheep. And if you have a personality that wants to please people, just as your natural personality, that's a great personality trait to have, but you can often lose yourself if you're not careful. And then you add something like an anxiety disorder to that, where you're facing fight or flight responses far more often than you know normal people do and you don't fundamentally understand that or yourself you know it's a makes life even more difficult because those people who already don't understand you are going to have trouble understanding what you're going through because unless you have anxiety disorder and unless you can relate that to somebody else successfully it's very difficult For someone to know, even I, who's fairly self-aware, you know, we can't really completely understand each other's anxieties because they're different. Yes. You know, we can relate. We can say, okay, I understand what it's like to have anxiety. I can understand the base emotion, but I can't understand your triggers any more than you can understand mine. It's a disorder. If it made sense, it (laughs) wouldn't be called that.
0: Well, no, I don't live in your skin, but uh, you're very articulate, so that helps, and I can understand you explain, and I can understand to a certain degree. Yes, you know, and uh, but of course, that you know, I just I just accept it. It's just part of who you are.
1: Well, and but being able to articulate that yeah a lot it, of time.
0: It, it, yes. Well, you're 51 years old and you've I've been, been in therapy for a Fifteen long years boost. now.
1: For 15 years. And a yeah. lot of that time was learning to understand myself. You, you can't, it's hard to articulate it until you can understand it yourself. And in a sense, you never stop learning about yourself. It never actually ends. Because you're always evolving. The more you learn about yourself, you know, you change a little bit and then you learn more about yourself and change a little bit. Sometimes these changes, Oh, well that didn't work. And so you've got to evolve back. There's no, it's not a linear line. And, you know, we did a a show a while back that I need to look for, for somebody um, about, you know, what to expect when you're, um, Going to your therapy the first time. Oh, yes. Yes. We have to look for that. Okay. But so I won't go over all that. we have already done that, but starting therapy is a difficult thing. The decision to start.
0: The decision to start is a big one. That that first step is so huge.
1: And and then you end up that your anxiety disorder plays a game with you because you know, you need to go but it kicks in. It's something so different, something so out of what you're used to. And it's potentially frightening and you're gonna hurt yourself emotionally. You know, you can't heal without, you know, peeling off some scabs. It's just it's the way the thing works. You know, some days you come home from from therapy and you don't want to talk to anybody else. You just want to be able to kind of, you know, it was an emotional day. I just I just don't have it to, to discuss it. And, in fact, most of the time we don't discuss our therapies.
0: I don't know. I figure if there's something for you want me to know, you'll tell me. Yeah,
1: if there's something we need to discuss, we will discuss it. But it's not, we don't talk about our therapists, our therapies.
0: Well, I try to give you the opportunity. Hey, how'd it go? Yeah. And you're yeah, good already, then. Yeah,
1: well. So, here's a question I had, though for us What if you're a parent who has a child, teenager, maybe even an older teenager, who's just starting therapy? How do you actually approach it? Do you ask them? Like, say, you've got to go pick them up or where they come home. You know, what do you do? How do you approach How do you give them that opportunity without becoming. without becoming part of their therapy. Because they need to learn to do that on their own. And so especially at the beginning, those first 10 sessions, which is a long time, you know, especially if you're only going once a month, you know, they're still learning how to be in therapy. And they're probably not going to be able to explain to you what's going on. And that's the second half of going into therapy is your support system has to learn how to be supportive as well because people don't automatically know. They don't know that, especially if you haven't been through therapy, that it takes time to learn how to be in therapy. It takes time for you to learn how to be honest with yourself. Takes time for you to learn how to relate that to yourself. You can't relate it to successfully to the rest of the world until you can relate it to yourself successfully. And that takes time. That's why therapy isn't a quick fix, but it's an actual fix. It's not a band aid, it's not a pill. Pills are band aids. Or if you have a serious issue, they help get you to the point where you can use. You know, but for the average person.
0: Yes, my medication makes it possible for me to participate in therapy. Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, I'm not, I don't want to downplay medication. If you need it, you need it and take it. But for most people, the goal should be the medication is a band-aid to get you over the hump so you can start dealing with yourself. Now, some people have bipolar disorder, personality disorders, and they need to be on their medication. And they need to be on their medications. and so it's you know that's one of the things. I am not a mental. I am not a
0: We're dog doctor. Yeah.
1: But if your doctor says you should be on medication, take it, but it doesn't. Don't blindly take it. I mean, if you've well, got you bipolar got, disorder or know something. It, what they do. If you've got bipolar disorder or something, but if you're talking an- general di- anxiety disorder, just a general anxiety disorder, you should be taking as little medication for it as you can and still be successful because then you're not act because it's hard to know what the mental work is. But I'm not saying don't take it. I'm talking for anxiety disorder. If you've got bipolar personality disorders or stuff layered on top of it, that's a different question that I've always resisted. Despite having a fairly significant anxiety disorder, I've resisted medication. Part of that is because I've been mistreated. I was treated for depression rather than anxiety and I'd become reluctant. Part of it's because I'm relatively successful in dealing with my anxiety on an average basis. You know, and part of it is I don't know the long term side effects of medication. And so it's again, it's if you have to take it, take it. Just You know, I'm not even saying being skeptical. Just, you know, ask your doctor if it's one of these things that you can take as a short term, six months, a year, as you learn how to go through therapy, as you learn how to become more about yourself.
0: Right. That's your point. That's a point you've been coming to.
1: It's, you know. It
0: can be short term, but you have to discuss it with your doctor.
1: Yeah. You have to have your medical professionals. Your therapist should be involved. Your therapist can actually be talking with your doctor if you're comfortable with that. Not everybody's comfortable having their therapist and their doctor talking to each other. you know my doctor's my doctor, my therapist is my therapist, you know, but especially if you're just dealing with generalized anxiety and you don't need heavy medication, you can probably get away with that. but if you've got someone who needs like yourself who needs their medications, then you're probably better off with them talking to each other yeah
0: yeah yeah yeah,
1: yeah, so. But well, I guess the point of this is there's no direct answer. There's no singular answer. You know, anxiety disorder is an umbrella, it's a rainbow. And it affects all of us differently and uniquely. And it continually evolves. But it's never going to go away. You learn to let it become part of you. because there is a there is a trick it does give you insight there is a gift to anxiety disorder you know nature doesn't always punish there is a gift to it you have the ability to analyze a situation and analyze people's personalities very quickly you pick up on signals instinctively that other people miss and if you can learn to harness that, it's a very, very powerful tool. It's a difficult, difficult tool to harness because it's instinctively, inherently chaotic. Not instinctively, it's inherently chaotic. But it is what it is. And I think I've lost my thought. I think I'm rambling at this point.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I think at this point I am rambling. All right. So what do we have lined up here today? We have.
0: Yeah, we're quite a, quite a few articles up on the block.
1: Yeah, I think I covered co- actually covered some of them because in the uh, in the discussion. Because the first one coming to terms? Now this is actually one I actually have no relation to, um, disassociative, disassociative, identity disorder, but they actually described it as an anxiety disorder in the article, um, but apparently they don't remember from moment to moment, they're, they don't connect their, um, memories together, they can remember a moment, but they can't remember the moment that preceded it, Oh, no. Or followed it.
0: Oh, no. Oh, how terrible.
1: So it's like, in a sense, maybe I can maybe explain it from a perspective of when I lost, when I had the concussion, there's my everything came out of sequence, right? That whole six months, whatever I remember is that six month period is all out of sequence. But I, you know, and, and there's chunks I can't remember. And so I can assume maybe it's something like that, but on a much more massive scale.
0: Massive, yeah.
1: On a much more massive scale. That's kind of what I can, that's the sense I got from my article. But it's just the amount of things that the human brain can put us through. But yet, at the same time, still have a successful you know at least externally successful life you can still have a family kids a job you know you can still externally be successful but while you're dealing with this thing where you're in when during times of stress you simply lose uh, best way i'm going to describe it even though it's, it's flawed is you lose the time stamp on the moments so they all just become out of sequence uh. And in a sense, you can't even remember what you don't remember. Maybe like, you know, over those cases where you feel like you drew on, drove on autopilot, next thing you know you're home, you go, how the hell did I get here? You ever, you know, drive on yeah. a commute? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You drive yeah, it every freaking yeah. day? And the only thing, what really happens is since nothing out of the ordinary happens, nothing in your brain stored it because why? You know, I do this every day. It's a perfectly normal trip. And there's no reason to store any of this memory, any of this trip into my brain. It's pointless. And so it doesn't. That's why you don't remember. It's just, it's not that you didn't remember. It's not that you were actually zoned out or or on autopilot. You're actually paying attention. It's just the storage of it says, no. This is the same trip we make every day. I am not storing
0: this. (laughs) (laughs) The file guy said, nope.
1: No. file you can you can I copy yesterday. It's the same thing. <laughs> it's the same thing. You even saw half of the same cars. Just 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 leave it alone. But we know you know it's yeah. Uh, but that would be a difficult way. That's even I think would be once you realize it. And that was actually the strange thing I read. The person didn't realize it. That's how they were. And then it kind of shook the world when they realized that they have this, this sort of memory thing.
0: Yeah, so, that would shake your world.
1: Yeah. All of a sudden you realize that you're not remembering huge chunks of your life. It's not that you don't remember, it's you can pull them up, but only when it's absolutely necessary. Oh. Yeah. Now we all do that to some extent. We all have things we remember that we don't, that we can, that we don't genuinely remember unless you absolutely have to. And who knows how that system works, right? You know, (laughs) who knows how that actual system works? I don't know. There's probably someone who can actually explain how, you know, the need triggers that file by, Hey, you actually know that bit of information. You had it happen to you when you were eight and, and you can remember it right now because you need it right now. But if you were just sitting there talking BS with your friends, you wouldn't remember. Or if, you know, you're just having a casual conversation, you wouldn't remember because it's not important. It's stored somewhere. It's just, How memory is stored is just a strange thing. And I just wonder if that's kind of what that is. The storage, man, doesn't work. Anyway, I don't know. And see, here's that. We were talking about Hello Anxiety, my old friend. You know where you have to become kind of – in a sense, you do. You make friends with your anxiety over time. It becomes – it's part of you. It's always going to be there. You're not going to get away from it. So, you know, you learn how to live with it. And, well, it's better off you like what you live with. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to like what it does for you all the time, but because that's not going to happen. But it does give you some things. You know, take stock of what it gives you, and you know, you can start to work together. Say, hey, look, you leave me alone on these things, and I'll start appreciating you the things you do give me a little bit more, and we can work together. And you think, it's that's a little crass, but it's actually kind of in a strange way, what happens over time in therapy. I mean, it's a strange way to describe it. It, it is, but in over time, that's kind of what happens in, in therapy. You learn to like all of yourself. As soon as you, but the first thing is you have to learn to become honest with yourself. Ah. Five unique physical symptoms. You like these, and we have just enough time before you need to take a break. So, because these are quick. Now we're.
0: All go? right. Yes. Five physical unique systems you might not recognize as anxiety. So you might not be aware of what your body is trying to tell you. Yeah. Okay. Number one. A. F- a temperature spike or a fever.
1: Yep, that's I can agree. And then, not necessarily even temperature spike. You feel like it get hot. You might start sweating. And, and especially me, when sometimes you get randomized anxiety for no freaking reason whatsoever.
0: You get flesh.
1: Yeah, you. It's it's essentially it's just like I'm a shot of adrenaline for no freaking reason. And <laughs> then, and yeah, and if you're just kind of hanging out, sitting there, all of a sudden your body's responding like you're running, and yeah, you just get you get this flush of
0: endorphin. Yeah,
1: well, no, I would say uh, adrenaline. You get the endorphin, adrenaline. Yeah, you get the dose of adrenaline, and you get the flush, and the blood starts pumping, and so you feel hot. Uh. Yeah, runny nose. Yeah, that goes with the. Uh, that goes with the adrenaline again. When anxiety develops, your brain releases a flood of chemicals to try to stabilize your body and get you ready to neutralize the threat. Yes. This mm-hmm. one they're saying it's histamine. Uh-huh. So it's like polygen, but okay, so actually that's not a it's a chemical reaction, but it's not adrenaline, it's histamine. It makes it's you hist- clear your nose. It's it clears your yes. sinuses. I can see maybe that's a good thing about anxiety clear sinuses.
0: We might have to run or (laughs) fight.
1: Yeah, you've got to have clear, yeah, you've got to be able to breathe. Yeah. Getting some oxygen. Hives and itchiness.
0: Similarly, histamine release also causes hives and itchiness.
1: That one I didn't know. I don't get itchiness with a hive, so that's an interesting one. That's. Learn something new every day. Even now, this one is strange. I hadn't even considered it. Blue stool.
0: I hadn't thought of it either.
1: I would have never made those connections.
0: Your digestive tract quickens and intensifies when you're anxious. This, combined with stress release hormones which are released in response to anxiety can irritating your gut can lead to loose stool.
1: Well, I know irritating your gut can have issues. I mean, I almost gave myself an ulcer. Yeah. Uh, We caught it just in time, but so, you know, but I had, huh. That's the (laughs) only one I've got on that one. Huh. (laughs) (laughs) Sensitive to environmental stimuli, yes. Because everything's either a threat, so it's some way to run. So
0: So you're hyper alert. Yeah. So everything stands, every little thing that happens is a crisis. It stands it out. It stands
1: out. But you also, also means you notice little things that other people don't. So if you can keep your wits about you, you can notice. Uh, personality quirks and other people's emotions and you and these things as you learn to cope with your anxiety better you learn to stay in the moment you know it's a it is a strange thing you've got this duality to it because you've got this thing where your body wants to run and flight your body but your mind can still stay relatively calm and i don't know if this is just me again anxiety is an individual experience There's times when my body has the anxiety attack and my brain is going, what the hell are you doing? Quite literally, my brain is going, what are you doing? But because the body stays in it so long, it eventually convinces the brain that something's wrong. And then you run off into a hyper. Yeah. And, but you don't know. It's in a sense that some environmental stimuli triggered the body to think it was The, the subconscious was aware of it you know who knows maybe it's a smell or something I'm not you know who knows what the hell it is but yeah I'm eating a hamburger what you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah those things happen all right and other things are happening and it is time for our break and we will be right back right and we are back and before we get going we want to let you know you can send lovey a dear lovey letter at love at late night love.us you can find me on twitter at jazz rag or at least contact me i don't tune very much over there or you can contact us on our facebook page or send us a voice message on our anchor.fm slash late night love or you can just find us at us, or Mines and Miwi, and locals and a wide variety of other social media outlets. All right. Yes. And we're all over the blogosphere right? or whatever the hell they call it these days to so just age myself about 50 years.
0: Right <laughs> blogosphere.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think I just did. <laughs> so I'll put. Okay, so where do we want to start? Uh, early warning system about mental health preparedness. I don't think we want to cover that too much because that's just mindfulness. Um, we can come back to it if we want. Let's see.
0: Well, what's The one with the early warning system, that was mainly... What I read the article was being self, the crux of it was being self-aware.
1: Yeah, it's actually, it's a good read. Um, yes, so, it is. So it's it's a better read than we can actually give it justice for. Um, it's, a, it's being self-aware and then using your support groups to help you check in, essentially, with, you know, where you are. If you're feeling grumpy or not, you yeah. know, kind of take those uh comments so to heart you know check in with them check in with yourself you know because they're not always right you might be feeling grumpy but they might be the one who's actually grumpy you know so you know you got to take everything with yeah some own some open analysis but but the point is is to use your support group be mindful learn how to be mindful which quite frankly, goes to talking and go to therapy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. Then so therapy. and then use your support
1: groups and then use your support group to check in with yourself, keep yourself on track. All right. So let's cover this one because this is actually, which one, so why is it so hard to talk about abusive mothers? Now that we've got past all of, all of the, uh, you know, the holidays, the father's day, the mother's day, all those things are gone. Uh, gone past why is it that we don't we talk about abusive fathers all the time and rightly so i'm not it's not a complaint it's it's we find it very difficult to talk about abusive mothers and they exist we all know they exist i mean from a spouse abuse thing we know that domestic abuse happens roughly equally from each sex this is a clear was a surprising statistic as he found when they, when they studied do these studies that they keep finding the same answer. But now men do more physical damage and it seems that women do more emotional damage now the physical damage makes complete sense. Why they had more emotional damage happens is an open question is one of the reasons because we can't talk about it. I mean, if you're, a, if you're a man who's being abused by your spouse, by your, your wife, you can't talk about it. Society will, won't take you seriously. It just won't. I mean, it's better now than it used to be. Don't, I don't want to complain. but But there's something deeper to that. There's a reason. We have, for whatever reason, and maybe there was a valid reason for it at the time, have put women up on a pedestal. They're the better angels of our nature, right? Yeah. Sugar and spice, everything nice. Puppy dog tails and snails. It's... You know, what was it? There was a thing we posted earlier ago. If uh, this week, if um, there's a saying, you know, if Mama's not happy, the home isn't happy.
0: Ain't nobody happy.
1: Ain't nobody happy. But is that the right attitude? Right. Should it actually be a happy spouse makes a happy house? Doesn't matter what sex you are. Doesn't matter what gender you are. The whole idea is to make two people happy. Yeah. Gender and sex. And there's a second part of it. Is it sexist? Our refusal to talk about abusive mothers or or the negative aspects of women. We talk about toxic masculinity, but we don't talk about toxic femininity. It exists. We do kind of look down on on the gold diggers of the world. But... You don't look down on too much, but why is actually the question, and I don't actually have an answer. Uh, so I'm not going to sit here. <laughs> I don't have one. It's, I don't. I can speculate, but it's all pure speculation. But why don't we? Because we don't. we don't really have conversation about about these things now we don't actually have a good conversation about abusive fathers either but we at least have the conversation conversation is terrible but we at least have a conversation so I don't know maybe I shouldn't have brought up a a topic I don't have any kind of an answer for but If we don't start talking about it, how are we gonna finance
0: it? How are we gonna how we gonna find answers? Yeah, yeah.
1: Someone has to be willing to start talking about it. And we can talk about it in a way that's not necessarily accusatory. It's a very human thing. Oftentimes these things are caused by trauma. And the lack of mental care, emotional care. You know, in times past you didn't have time. You know, life Move came at you fast, and was life was brutal. I mean it was only a hundred years ago you know where we actually modern life is less than a hundred years old, less than a hundred years old. I mean electricity is a hundred years old in your house, but the car is a hundred years old. And it was barely a car back then. I mean, before that, up until what, 1895? The average person lived on less than a dollar a day in today's money. We were all dirt poor. Every single one of us. Half a percent of people had more than dirt, had
0: just nothing. Yeah.
1: It was subsistence living. So you didn't have time to take care of your mental health. Not only, you know, not only we didn't have the knowledge, you didn't have time, but now we do. Now we can stop the cycles. Now we can prevent these things from continuing on down the line. And we have gotten better. We're better at raising our kids now than we used to be. It's a glorious thing. But we have to continue having difficult conversations, even if you don't have an answer. Because yeah. maybe someone who's listening to you does. Or maybe they have the next stage of the conversation. You don't know. Okay so let's go next okay we actually covered the next one all right so let's just skip to some questions i'm 21 my dad thinks it's okay to just give me a room and nothing else not even food what should i do
0: (laughs) move out well why are you working
1: well, I think the first thing is become more appreciative and understand he's actually giving more than he's legally required. Now, you could actually argue morally and ethically and make a different questions, but those are individual choices. Where you draw your moral and ethical lines, and maybe he can't afford to give you any more, more. Yeah. than what he's giving you. Maybe he's giving you all he can. And, you know, that's, we don't know. But the first thing I would say is be more appreciative of what you're getting there's people who don't have a roof over their head and you know right now if you're desperate fast every fast food joint in the country is not right. they are those are the worst jobs so they're the last jobs that are going to be filled so if you absolutely desperately need a job You can walk into almost any fast food joint in the country except maybe a Chick-fil-A because they don't seem to be having problems hiring people (laughs) Uh (laughs) for for whatever reason. Well, they treat their employees like human beings so they don't have trouble keeping people regular fast food joints. You're just a number. You know, you're there to complete tasks. And so it's just, you know, it's got nothing to do with pay. It's just, you know, they're doing the same tasks, but it's a better work environment in one place than another. But if you're desperate, if you're hungry, I mean, it's, it's not it's,
0: a. If that's where you start and you move up. You keep looking for a better job. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but that's also kind of a crass answer, but, you know, but it is what it is. Your dad doesn't have to give you any more than he's. He doesn't have to give you that. Now, we could sit here and make a moral argument that you're kind of required to. You should, not required, you should, especially with the way the world is these days. And everything's kind of gone completely haywire. That, you know, you should be helping the friends and family to kind of get through these bumps. But you have to help yourself as well you have to be trying to get better. If you're having health or mental issues or something, you have to be trying to get better. If you're just sitting around playing video games, you're lucky your dad's doing anything because he's not just giving you a room. He's paying the light bill. He's paying the air conditioning bill, paying the water bill. Not just a room, paying the taxes. And maybe he doesn't have enough. Maybe he's looking for something from you. Help out more around the house. You know, treat the gift as it is. It's a gift. You know, instead of complaining about him only giving you a room, maybe you should thank him for giving you a room.
0: I'm sure he would love to hear that.
1: Him and just assume that maybe he can't afford it. Or maybe he's fighting an instinct. And that's as far as he can actually bring himself. And maybe he was raised that you know, at eighteen you're off, you're taking care of yourself, and he's trying to become a better human being, and that's as far as he can get himself to <laughs> do Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And maybe you should honor that. That's a hard trip for some people. You know, it's hard to say. When you're hungry, it's hard to hear don't be selfish. But don't be selfish. And you will be rewarded. Or something like that. All right. So, my boss is saying that (laughs) increase of salary is a motivator. What can I say against it? Well, this is a thing that is both true and not true at the same time. A salary is not the best motivator. It's just not.
0: An increase in salary? An
1: increase in salary you're, is not going to motivate someone who is unmotivated.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Meaning well. Positive work environment well. Wanting to be there. No just getting a bigger paycheck isn't going to make you want to be there any more than it was the day before. Just going kind to of mean that you're willing to put up with a little more. <laughs> what I always said: the amount of BS I'm willing to put up with is in direct proportion to the size of my paycheck. But I'm still putting up with a bunch of BS. I'm not going to be any more motivated than I was going to be before. I'm motivated at my natural level of motivation. The size of my paycheck isn't going to do it. Now, are there people out there who are motivated by pay alone? Yes, but fewer than we think. Most people, and we discussed it but I don't know if it was last week or the week before that people were willing to give up a huge chunk of money per year to to continue working remotely i mean it was well it was, I don't remember if it was thirty five thousand or sixty five thousand dollars, but either one of those was a huge chunk of money. You're talking tech workers in the Bay Area who are making over 100k, but that's still a huge chunk of money. I don't care what anybody says. 35 grand is, is a huge chunk of money. People want meaning. People want freedom. They want flexibility. They want to be able to have their own minds. They don't want to be ruled by their job. So if you can manage to walk that line where you can get your tasks done while giving your employees uh, both meaning and flexibility, you've hit the the golden zone. You can actually pay them less. We've all known it. People who have stayed at a job, taking less money, and then get somewhere else simply because they liked working
0: there. Yes.
1: I like working here, so that's the motivation. You're not going to motivate somebody long term with a bigger paycheck, and if someone is motivated, you're going to lose them because you can't keep up. Be well, go find some place bigger. Uh, give your give your employees meaning. Give them what they want in terms of as much flexibility and freedom as you can agency for their own lives. You know, and it's not always possible if you run an assembly line, you know, there's only so much flexibility and freedom you can give to the guys, to the people who are running the assembly line. But you know, there's ways, there's ways. All right. Should I be worried if my 17 and a half year old daughter is regressing? she suddenly went back to watching children's shows and collecting toys. Keep in mind she's a typical developing 17-year-old. No, she sounds like a typical 17-and-a-half-year-old to me. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. They vacillate.
1: Yeah, well, and it's not just... Sometimes they go back to watching old TV shows. If you could actually make an it's an anxiety response if you have an anxieties issues. You go back and you watch something that's familiar, that you know it's going to happen. It's comforting. But sometimes it's they just want to watch something and that's what they want to watch. They're going on a kick. You know, like every now and again, you know, you might go on a kick where you want to go watch some old movies. Well, they're going watching old shows. You watch a movie that brings you back to your, your teenage years or your 20s. You want to watch a child that brings them back ten years ago. It's not any different on a scale. And sometimes some of those stuffs were actually pretty good. And who cares what they're collecting? Lots of people collect lots of things. You know, a toy collection at seventeen, you know, maybe it turns into beanie babies and becomes worthless, but maybe it becomes turns into your grandpa's baseball card collection and is worth $100,000 or something. You don't know. Don't worry about it. Let them be their joy. Let them be an artist. Who knows what it's going to turn into? As long as everything else is fine, you care what they do for their entertainment time. It's their entertainment time. Now, you know, if they're dropped all their other responsibilities, all the other things they'd like to do so they can sit around, eat, eat bonbons, suck their thumb, and watch Teletubbies, well, then you might be having a different issue. But it doesn't sound like what she's talking about. Mm. <laughs> Sounds to me like you've got someone who's just, you know, wanted to go retro for a little while. So what? Maybe it's a thing. You know, maybe it's a thing in their circle how these things go. It's like, you know, bell bottoms or something. They come back for some reason every now and again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't be so leave her alone. That would be my suggestion. Leave her alone. Then <laughs> it'll be fine.
0: Why is my nine year old daughter good at school and so hyperactive and naughty at home?
1: Well, because you raised him right. Yeah. Yeah, because he knows how to behave outside the home and he comes home and he feels welcome and secure that he's not going to be rejected so he can let that part of himself out. And you got to understand having a boy in a school is very difficult. You're asking a boy who, as a rule of thumb, you're talking seven, eight out of ten boys, a significantly high number, need physical activity. And then you poke them in a school for six hours a day where they're essentially told to sit down, be quiet, do what you're told, and they have to let off some steam at some point.
0: I was going to say.
1: (laughs) You know, so maybe you give him something else to do. It's not that he's being naughty, it's just he's.
0: He's been pent up all day. Yeah,
1: he's got energy to burn, and he just finds some way to burn that energy. Just find some way to burn that energy and, and, you know, focused energy. There is a thing. Boys have lots of energy and unfocused energy leads to broken things. So <laughs> this is something I know. I have lots of boys. <laughs> boys have lots of energy. Unfocused energy leads to broken things. So focus that energy best you can. Give them something to focus on. Yeah. It doesn't really matter what it is. If he likes to throw a baseball, let him throw a baseball against the side of the house. Or a tennis ball against the side of the house. Something. Karate. Karate. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Whatever he's interested in. But you watch guys like, I was listening to a a, uh, documentary on Nolan Ryan. And as a kid, he used to just throw a ball against the side of the house. Well, by like 15 years old, he was throwing 90-something miles an hour. Uh, and just being scouted by the pros (laughs) because no one could hit him. Plus he built his arm up so strong. And then he pitched until he's like 45 through seven nose hitters, one of the best pitchers in all. So, you know, you never know where these things can go. But it's just he had all this energy. Just throw a ball against the side of the house. Just do something with it. didn't matter what the heck it is. You know, what was it? There was a basketball player who used to just go out and shoot free throws. was his way of releasing that energy. And, well, eventually, he became a pretty good shooter, you know. And what was it? He didn't even have a backboard. It was just a hoop on a pole. So he had to make get swishes. He couldn't rebound it. And so he became a good shooter.
0: Oh, know? wow.
1: Yeah. So you never know. You know, just give them something to do, and you never know where it's going to lead. It might not lead anywhere. But it's not, except you'll stop him. Breaking things inside your house—that's what you—that's that's the goal on that one. Okay, so there's these last two, and we'll cover these. With you. My child wants me to buy him a cheap car. Is this reasonable?
0: If he can afford it.
1: Well, it's not unreasonable, and it's a hell of a lot better than the other question we had about the cars the last couple of weeks. The, the week. last, the last week, week before, a couple of shows ago, whatever it was. Or someone got mad because they didn't get a nice enough car, even though they got a nice one. They wanted a Tesla instead of whatever the hell. Get the hell out of here. You're like, you taking the bus. (laughs) (laughs) But at least, no, responsible wants a cheap car. If you guys can work out a deal, it's not unreasonable. Now, whether you do it or not is a completely decision, completely up to your family and your family finances, whether you think he's responsible enough and, whether he can afford to pay the insurance on it and all that other variables. But it's not an unreasonable request. No, no. It doesn't mean he should get it. It's just not unreasonable. That's all. Whether you get it or not is a different question and not one we can actually answer because we don't know your family situation or the responsibleness of your son or, any of those things we can't answer that but we can tell you it's not unreasonable right and actually asking for a cheap car from what other things we have (laughs) it's (laughs) It's actually yeah 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 so you know you've actually done something right you know be proud that he asked for a cheap car because you know he knows better than to
0: he knows better obviously you (laughs) raised him right
1: yeah okay so here's this one. Maybe this one's for you, or maybe it's for me. I don't know. How can I get my husband to want to spend time with me? That's a
0: well, that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> we've had we've had discussions, and we revisit it often. I wouldn't say often. From time to time, we revisit it. But we're home together all day. We we see each other all day.
1: Yeah. So our, we're and, not a good and, example.
0: And we spend time together during the day to sit and talk, smoke a joint.
1: Yeah. We make sure we we actually set aside time to spend time with each other. We both do. and Yeah.
0: During the day.
1: And so, but how do you do it? Well, one if you're going to have the discussion, you have to figure out how to do it without emotion. You're going to have to find a way to do it without being upset. Because they automatically get defensive if you come in there and all upset. And and so if you're going to have the discussion, you're better off trying to not come off as accusatory. So you never spend time with me you don't do this figure it out a ways i'd like to find some way for us to for me to spend more time with you flip it flip the question
0: Ooh, that's a good one
1: flip the question make it not about you you wanting him to spend time with you make it about you wanting to spend time with him and tell him why Why do you want to spend time with him? Because that's what you're actually saying. If you're saying, I want him to spend more time with me, that's an awfully selfish perspective. What you're actually saying is, I want to spend more time with him. How do I get him to do it? Yes. It's a better question. And it does start with a calm conversation. It really does. Because if you try to manipulate or trick or do any of those kinds of things, it doesn't work. Maybe you can get a short-term change, but it's not going to stick. Long-term changes happen slowly, but they stick. And so start with the question by changing the question. So, you know, I'd like to find some way to spend more time with you because I love you. I think you're funny. I like looking at you, whatever the hell it is.
0: All (laughs) of the above.
1: Yeah, whatever it is.
0: You're hilarious.
1: And give him some time to come up with an answer. Don't expect it right away.
0: Ooh, another good one.
1: Because men like to solve problems. So you've now given him a problem to solve. But you've got to let him work on it. In a sense, you're kind of manipulating them, but you're not really. You're just being honest with them. You could actually make an argument that's manipulative, but it's not because you're just honoring their nature.
0: Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah but it can feel manipulative if you haven't actually had that done with you before. It can feel manipulative. doesn't mean it is, but it can feel manipulative.
0: Giving someone time to think?
1: Yes. When you haven't had it before. Oh. Blonde bells go off and all kinds of things. But so you don't actually give them time to think. You just give them time to think. You don't tell them you give them time to think. You just have a, short conversation you say you know I've been thinking something like you know I've been thinking I want to figure out a way so I can spend more time with you you know I, I love you I like I, you're funny I like to look at you you know and you know I just 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 I was just thinking it and it off you go let it sit plant the seed Don't take it, don't make it into a big ordeal don't turn it into a big thing Let's see where it goes Let's see what happens it may not work but apparently what you've been trying hasn't worked either so nothing's guaranteed for success but you may have to do it again you know some of us are thick. <laughs> <laughs> You may not catch it the first time, <laughs> so you may have to have the conversation again, but you know how to do it. You know how to talk to your husband when when you want to do these things. Just my biggest action I, I Kelly, my biggest suggestion would be to flip the question. Don't make it about him spending time with you. make it about you spending time with him, and that will not make him so defensive and give him a problem to solve. We like problems to solve, and on that problem, we are solving today is we are out of time. So, everybody, thank you for joining us. You can find us at late night love.us, FM at late night love. You can find us on Facebook, it's the late night love, I think it actually is. The late night
0: love, Uh, yes, on Facebook.
1: Anyway, and you can find us late night love on all these various other, you can search us and find it. You all are all technical savvy enough to do that. And we will see you next time. And please remember to love everybody. Bye.
0: Bye.